Those joining us online, man, I, I, I wish you were here, but I'm grateful um, that you're with us in this moment to hear from God because he longs to speak life and joy and hope. He longs to reveal himself to you. He wants, he wants you to experience personally and profoundly his great uh, love for you. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I got to introduce you to the newest member of the Clark family, uh, Wilkin Marissa. Uh, yeah. Wilkie is back in the will. He gave us a grandson. This is number seven for the Clarks. Uh, his name is Ellis, 19 inches long, uh, seven pounds, four ounces. And Wilkie is levitating. He has two girls, Bella and Willow, but now the boy. Um, it's awesome. Um, you know, I, I wanted to, again, this week, start with a little audience participation. Um, we tend to be rowdy here all the time, but you can get a little extra rowdy if you want to. I'm going to say something, and then I want you to help me with it. I'm going to say, Chuck Norris is so awesome, and you say, how awesome is he? Chuck Norris is so awesome. How awesome is he? Chuck Norris is so awesome, he can start a fire by rubbing two ice cubes together. Chuck Norris is so awesome, he has a grizzly bear rug in his bedroom. The bear's not dead, it's just afraid to move. Ghosts sit around the campfire and tell Chuck Norris stories. Chuck Norris is the reason that Waldo is hiding. When the boogeyman goes to bed, he looks under his bed for Chuck Norris. Uh, some people... Wear Superman pajamas. Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas. Okay, one more. I dare you not to laugh at this one. Chuck Norris never flushes the toilet. Just scares the crap out of it. That's terrible. You know, it's funny because it's just nonsense. It is utter nonsense. What's no laughing matter? is that people today actually believe nonsense and it just wrecks them. I mean, most people in the world live defeated, joyless lives because they buy into dead-end, false life philosophies. Now, I'm a child of the 60s. And here was one that was prevailing in my day, maybe prevails yet today, but it went like this. If it feels good, do it. If it feels, isn't that a lie? I mean, it's like so selfish, so self-consumed, so for the moment without thought to the consequence, even if someone gets hurt, if it feels good, do it. Now, you know how, how it's said today? People say, well, you do you. What does that mean? Well, a recent uh, survey was done of college freshmen, and all they had to do in the survey was answer the question, what does you do you mean? Here's how they responded. It means be selfish. Think only of yourself. Don't take others into consideration. Be the boss of your life. Man, that a... That'll wreck you. And the, the sad thing is, you don't know how painful these false life philosophies will become 
until you're in the pain and you're like, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Embedded in our soul is a lie. If it feels good, do it. You do you. So we're in the book of Colossians. Uh, on the weekend, we're going all the way verse by verse through the book. Grab a study guide on your way out. There are 16 verses in our text this morning. I won't even get through half of them. So spend the rest of your week in God's word in the book of Colossians. You will be given a prayer to pray every day as you go. But Paul writes this letter as a warning to the church in Colossae. He wants to warn them away from false, dead-end philosophies. And this is how he opens his warning with these words. Don't let others spoil your faith and joy. Now, this is incredibly huge. Your faith is your secret to victory in life. Now, you don't get to, to the victory by just believing hard, believing hard, believing hard, believing hard. No, you get to the victory by believing in a victorious Jesus. He is the object of your faith. And as you believe that he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all you can ask or even imagine, it's that kind of faith that gets you to victory. In every area of your life, the Bible says, we achieve victory by our faith. So don't let anyone spoil your faith. You don't get to victory in your marriage by, you know, if it feels good, do it. You don't get to, 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 to victory in your parenting by, you know, you do you. You get your victory through a faith in a good and great Jesus, your trust is in him. And he enables you to win in every life circumstances. In fact, you know what you win? You win joy. That's what you win when your faith is anchored to Jesus. This is not some kind of run-of-the-mill garden variety, uh, come as you go, or uh, here today, gone tomorrow kind of joy. The joy of Jesus has staying power. And here's the deal. When you win joy in your marriage by your faith in Jesus, when you win joy in your finances by your faith in Jesus, when you win joy in your parenting by your relationship with Jesus, what happens is you are given strength, incredible strength, a strength beyond yourself, a strength that is not human in nature, a strength that is, you, that is supernatural, a strength, only a strength that comes from God. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. This joy is so incredible that even when life hurts and life always hurts, even when life is hard and life is always hard, this joy has stain power. It's not one of those moments of joy when you get a, your seventh grandchild uh, or you get a promotion at work or the, the day you said vows with the love of your life. This is the joy that just hangs in there no matter what. It begins to dominate in the hard times. It begins to heal the hurt. This joy is your strength. If you want to increase your strength mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, if you want to increase your strength, increase your joy. And if you want to increase your joy, increase your relationship with Jesus. So Paul continues to write. He says, don't let others spoil your faith and joy with their, how, how they're gonna spoil it? 
with their you do you stuff, with their if it feels good do it stuff, with their philosophies, their wrong and shallow answers built on, I mean, they're just making stuff up. It's man's thoughts, man's ideas instead of what Christ has said. Um, I'll suggest to you that if it's, it's not if it feels good, do it. It's if Christ said it, do it. If Christ said it about your marriage, do it in your marriage. If Christ said it about your finances, do it in your finances. You want a pathway to life, you're gonna drift into pain and hurt if you just do whatever feels good. Or you just do you. But if you want to build a life on the foundation of Christ, if he said it about some area of your life, just do what he says. Instead of you do you, you do Jesus. Because when you do Jesus, you do his joy. You do his hope. You do his peace. When you do Jesus, you do his love. Life still hurts. Life still has huge, painful impossibilities. Life is still hard. But when you do Jesus, you do peace, you do strength, you do joy. In fact, Paul goes on in the text to explain why. Why doing Jesus is a universe better than you do you. Here's what he says. He writes, for in Christ, get this, there is all of God in a human body. Jesus is God who came to earth through human birth. And as a flesh and blood person, he was fully God, fully man, fully God all at the same time. You see, Paul says, for in Christ, all of God dwelt in a human body. So you have everything when you have Jesus. You ever feel kind of down because you don't have enough? Not getting enough love, not getting enough help, not getting enough encouragement, not getting enough strokes, not getting enough money. When you have Jesus, you have everything, and it goes beyond all the stuff that money cannot buy. It goes beyond anything anyone can offer you or give to you. When you have Jesus, you have everything, and you are filled with God. Oh my gosh, you are actually filled with God through your union with Christ. When we are united with Christ, there's nothing I have to offer Jesus. There's nothing you have to offer Jesus. Nothing that we have would ever be good enough. But when we unite our lives, unite our marriages, unite our finances, unite whatever you want to say. When we unite our lives with Jesus, he infuses us with all of God, all of God's hope, all of God's peace, all of God's strength, all of God's joy, all of God's love, all of God's power, all of God's wisdom. And here's why. Because he has the authority over every power. Can I see the end of that text again, please? You see, he's the highest ruler with authority over every other power. You see, you don't have to give a rip about what someone may say about you. They have no authority. Why let them steal your joy? Why give them your peace? Why let them spoil your faith and hope? Jesus has the authority. He has the authority to bring into your life what will literally transform, strengthen, and infuse joy 
into your life. So here's my suggestion. Run from anything that does not make Jesus everything. Run from anything, anything that does not make Jesus everything. See, um, Jesus is the truth. And Jesus said, Satan is a liar. Satan has lied from the beginning. He, he lies to you and he lies to me every day. Um, we go through this day, we crawl into bed, turn off the light, our heads hit the pillow, and he wants to get in our heads with his lies. He wants to make us feel miserable. I don't think he causes the terrible things. My dad has advanced um, prostate cancer. He's going to be 95 next month. Satan didn't cause that. But Satan would love to, sh to, to poke a sharp stick in my dad's heart and lie to him, lie to him, lie to him. Um, I've got my struggles. Satan didn't cause them. You have your struggles. Satan didn't cause them. But he wants to poke a sharp stick in your heart and lie to you just to mess with you, just to stir up your anxiety, just to, to deepen your depression, just to take away your hope. Satan is a liar. Jesus is the truth. You see, when I was growing up, uh, back in the 60s, there was another false dead-end life philosophy. It was this. People said, there is no truth. There's no such thing as truth. I mean, what may be true for you isn't true for me, and what might have been true yesterday is not true today, and maybe it won't be true tomorrow. What's true in this situation is probably not true in this situation. There is no truth. You know how people say it today? They say, well, you know, I've got to find my truth. As if Truth is something that can be embodied in a human being or is personalized for one person. You, you can find truth when you find Jesus. Jesus is the truth. You see, whatever is true is always true. It was true generations ago. It's true today. It will be true to, uh, forever. That's the way truth works. If it's true for me, it's also true for you. Truth is always the truth. It's true in this situation. It's true in this situation. Truth is always the truth. That's what makes it truth. Truth is not a system of belief or a life philosophy. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. So when Satan lies to you like he lies to me, we defeat him with the truth of Jesus. Just as Jesus used God's word to defeat Satan, this is how we come against his lies. We defeat them every time. He's not going to make us more anxious. Jesus is going to give us more peace. He's not going to make us more depressed. Jesus is going to give us more hope. He's not going to create more conflict. Jesus is going to give us more love. The truth of Jesus always defeats the lies of Satan. Now, Jesus was trying uh, just hours before his execution. He's trying to just drill this teaching down in the hearts of every person he talked to. 
first with his closest followers. He just told them, guys, I'm leaving. He knew he was gonna die. All they knew was he said he was leaving and it just wrecked them. I mean, they all started to go into emotional meltdown. He could see it in their faces. He knew it in their hearts. And so he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So I wanted to pause at this point in my talk and just ask you, what is, what is most troubling right now in your heart? Recent survey of Americans across our nation, what are your greatest fears? I'll just put them in three categories. Number one fear, corrupt government. Number two fear, financial calamity. Number three fear, ecological disaster. But I bet what's troubling your heart is more apt to be your marriage or what's going on between you and your children. Are you, are you troubled by your job or the lack thereof? Or are you troubled by your finances or the, or the lack thereof? Are, are you troubled emotionally? What has your heart troubled? I believe that God brought you here today. He has you online to learn the remedy to a troubled heart. Jesus enunciates it for his followers and for us. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. I am the truth. There's the remedy for your troubled hearts. Don't wallow in self-pity. Don't turn into a drama queen or king. Turn to the truth of Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled. What's going to relieve the trouble? Trust in God. Trust also in Jesus. Why? Is he worthy of your trust? Because Jesus is the truth. Just short hours from this conversation, Jesus is on trial for his life. He's being interrogated by the Roman governor. His name is Pilate, and here's their dialogue. Pilate asks Jesus, so uh, you are a king then? Yes, Jesus said, you're kidding it. I, I was born for the purpose of being a king, being a lord. Um, I, I came to bring capital T truth to the world. Now the world may ignore it. The world may reject it. The world may oppose it. I'm hoping each one of you is here to be receptive and to respond to the capital T truth, Jesus, I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth are my followers. Jesus, friends, Jesus is the personification of truth. He is truth. All who love me are my followers. How do we love him? We do what he says. We do what he says. We do what he says if Christ said it. We do it all who love me, all who love the truth. are my followers. They, the, the Bible says there is tremendous, there is perilous danger in not knowing the truth. This God breathes on the prophet Isaiah about this very issue. And Isaiah writes, the poor fool 
This guy, he doesn't know what's a lie and what's a truth. His deluded mind, his deluded heart misleads him, gets him into all kinds of trouble, all kinds of painful situations, wrecks all kinds of relationships. You see, he can't save himself. I can't save me. You can't save you. In fact, this guy, he can't even say, is not this thing in my right hand. It's right here. It's right in front of me. I can't even tell that it's a lie. People today, people then, probably people forever can't tell the difference between a lie and the truth. How do you tell the difference between the lies of Satan and the voice of God in your heart? You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he reveals. You you, you come to Jesus and he gives you insight. That's what Paul writes. Look, look what Paul writes. He says, just come to Jesus. You see, when you come to Christ, he sets you free. You know the truth and the truth sets you free. Sets you free from your evil desires. Not by a bodily operation of circumcision. Just hold that text for a second. You, you see, there was a cult in Colossae and it was spreading through the Roman Empire and they were telling the people in the Colossian church, hey, pff, you go to church, but pff, You guys aren't Christians. You're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. And all the adult males in the room are like, yee. Paul says, that's a lie. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not a Christian because of something on the outside. Here's how he continues. It's not about a a procedure, a physical procedure on the inside, but by a spiritual baptism, the baptism of your souls. Here's the, the truth, the truth of God. You can know you're a follower of Jesus. It should do whatever he says happened last night. Young man, he's a, a dad and a husband, but at the end of my talk, he said yes to Jesus to be baptized. He was going to follow Jesus and what Jesus said to do with his life. And, and he, he was baptized. Another young man um, set up to be baptized next uh, Saturday night. People coming to Jesus here. Young and old, black, brown, white, Asian, Native American, men and women. If Jesus says it, we're, that's, we're, we're going to do it. Christ said it, we do it. Jesus is the truth. In fact, Paul was so compelled. Paul felt that the spiritual experience of baptism to put the past behind us, to to bury our baggage, to have our sins washed away. He felt it was so urgent, so uh, such a priority, such so important that he said this. He said, "What are you waiting for? Get up, get baptized, have your sins scrubbed clean, have your get scrubbed clean of those sins, and personally acquainted with God." That's what happened for Josh last night. He said, "What am I waiting for? I'm not waiting for nothing." And he got up and he got baptized and he got scrubbed clean of all his sins. Now, baptism 
It's a picture. It's a picture of our participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And though um, we get baptized at a certain time, I remember my first baptism as a kid. Um, I'll never forget the moment. Uh, I, I was baptized in Israel in the Jordan River um, when I was an adult and then baptized with my Debbie on another trip to Israel. But baptism also happens every single day. If you've been buried with Christ in the water and raised up to newness of life, Jesus said, hey, anyone who wants to follow me must deny themselves the false philosophies of this world, take up their cross daily and come after me. And so for Josh, it began last night. For some of you, it began years ago. For some, maybe a month ago. But every day, we say no to self. Take up our cross. Join Jesus. You see, baptism is a picture of participating fully in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was on the cross, fully physically dead. They laid him down, buried him in a stone-sealed tomb, and then Jesus rose from the dead. That's the picture of baptism. You put your past behind you, you bury your baggage, and you are raised up. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead raises you out of the watery grave to do life on a whole new trajectory. It's the abundant life of Jesus. Um, so Paul would go on to write this church in Colossians. This is the very next thing off his stylus on, onto the parchment he writes in baptism. You see how your old evil nature died with Christ and was buried with him and you came up out of death, out of the water with him into new life because you trusted in the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. Paul is writing these words incarcerated in Rome bound to two Roman soldiers, 24-7. Chains jingle as he writes. Manacles rub sores on his wrists as he writes. But I wanted you to see in Rome what he wrote to the church in Rome about baptism. Look at the word of God. This is what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is a picture. You are participating in the death, burial, and resurrection. You're coming to Jesus. You're surrendering to him as your truth. You're giving up all other dead-end, lifeless philosophies that just leave you joyless and defeated. It's a portrait. It's a public display to all the world that you belong to Jesus. And so Paul closes out uh, at least my portion of the text today in verse 13. When you were stuck. Now I know, I know some of you have come today painfully stuck. Maybe stuck in an addiction. Maybe stuck in a hard place in your marriage. Maybe stuck with worry, fear, anxiety, 
depression. We all get stuck. Paul says this, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But what we couldn't do, God did for us. Look as the text goes on. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. The old charges, the old judgments, the old condemnations against you canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. So where does Paul get all this stuff about baptism and coming to Jesus? He gets it from Jesus. Last words Jesus spoke before he left planet Earth, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the truth. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to ask that you bow with me. Um, just as I have in each of our services, if um, something's gone off in your heart during worship today or my talk, it's likely God drawing you to himself. He wants you joined with Jesus in baptism. He wants you joined with the truth. And I'm going to invite you to that spiritual experience. Um, as, as you come for baptism, others likely will come because I'm inviting them as well right now. If, if I can pray with you, I didn't get to greet everybody in the room, but if me or one of our staff can pray with you about what's troubling your heart, we'd love to stand with you, pray with you, and help you. But I'm going to pray over everybody right now, and, and then we'll have our invitation, and you may come to receive Christ. Come to Christ and be baptized. Would you pray with me? Father God, we bow our heads in humility. We close our eyes to look into our own hearts and we see our need for Jesus. Our Jesus to help us, to heal us, to be our strength and our victory. And Lord, right now, I'd like for your Holy Spirit to be sweeping over this gathered people, convicting with loving kindness the opportunity to experience Jesus in baptism. Bring them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.